Oh, we're in a new series. We're starting it today. This series is entitled Stories. Stories. And uh, I'm particularly excited about uh, this particular series. And so a couple of things I do want to share with you as we move into this particular uh, series. Um, when we think about stories, uh, stories are really, really important uh, because they help us to make sense of the world. We uh, are, are mesmerized by stories and, and because stories can educate us, they can inspire us, they can give us hope. And uh, stories also gives us an understanding of the world and also an understanding of ourselves. And the amazing thing about stories is that everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. And our lives, really, when we think about it and look at it, our, our lives are lived out in stories. And the characters change over the course of our lives. Settings change over the course of our lives. Themes change over the course of our lives. But every person has a story. Every person has a name. Every name has a story. And even each story or every story, it has a meaning. And so as we talk about stories over these next several weeks, uh, I want us to really look back particularly at Jesus. And we're going to be looking at stories throughout the Bible, but Jesus loved telling stories. He was a storyteller. He loved it. The Bible says that he got into a boat and he went out to begin to make this boat his pulpit and he began to speak and he spoke in stories. Well, the King James Version says parables, but Jesus spoke in parables. A parable is nothing but a story. And so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to start out in the book of Matthew, in the book of Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to look at it first in the Message Bible, Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 and 13. And when Jesus uh, had an opportunity, he would, he would tell stories so that people could get an opportunity uh, of, of God's love and also all of God's love and also an opportunity to help them see a better way of life. Come on, champions, let's read that like we know it is a word of his power. Let's read it together now. The disciples came up and asked, why do you tell stories? So they wanted to know, why are you always telling stories, man? We've, we've not been exposed to this kind of stuff before. What we have been exposed to is we've been exposed to people telling us, um, you know, what God says and how we've fallen short. But you tell stories. Why is it that you're telling us stories? And Jesus told them, well, my disciples, you know that you are... You, you have an understanding of the kingdom, but not everybody have an understanding of the kingdom. And so he, he began to describe it like this in verse 13. Let's read it together. Now, I tell stories to create readiness to nudge the people toward receptive insight. My God. He says that I do it to uh, tell stories. I tell stories to create. And notice this next thing here. He says I do it to tell stories to create. And the beautiful thing about this, he says that because it does something that you, that you cannot do. And notice what he says here. Let's read it together now. In their present state, they can stare till doomsday and not see it. They can listen till they're blue in the face and not get it. So Jesus is saying no matter what, how long they look at it, no matter how long they listen, they still will not get it. Because they uh, do not have that insight. So not everybody is ready to receive. And so he says, I tell stories to do something. And the beautiful thing that he says he tells stories to do. First thing he says is that I tell stories to create. I still tell stories to nudge. 
and I tell stories so that there is receptivity. And so, you know what, the, what, what create is? Create is simply means, it means to bring something into existence. So Jesus says, the first reason I tell stories is to bring an awareness of what the people that are listening are not aware of. Interesting. Then he says that I tell stories so that when they become aware, they, it nudges them. Now, if you know the person next to you, would you nudge them? And I want you to notice how you're nudging people. You're nudging them with your elbow, right? You're nudging them. Now, now I say push, all, push them all over. Say, oh, this is my chance to get back at you. So the nudging, the nudging, and what the nudge means, it means to prod gently someone, typically with the elbow. And it's, you prod them in order to draw attention to something. Now, when we're driving, when we're driving, you know, you know now, you know, in the, in, in, when I was growing up, they had one seat in the front, right? And, and there was no console in between. So you had one seat in the front. And when they first started introducing seat belts, they had one, so you could get three people in the front seat. They had one seat belt that would go all the way across to all three people. It's so cool. And so if you sat next to someone and, and you saw something that they didn't see, that you would nudge them so that you would draw their attention to it. Now what happens, and I noticed this with Gwen, is that Gwen may see a car me closer to a car than I really am. And she doesn't nudge me because there's a console in the middle, but what she does is she grabs the, 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 the handle or she grabs the door. And her movement draws, gets my attention. And you know how I respond? I said, honey, I'll hit the brakes for you. And you know how she responds? It didn't look like it. <laughs> so to create is to bring something in existence uh, that may you, uh, bring you aware of something that you may not be aware of. And then nudge means to draw your attention to it. And then the receptivity means that you're, you're receptive or you're willing to consider a new way. So Jesus says, I tell stories so that people will become aware, their attention will become on what they are aware of, and then it will cause them to change the way they think and to change the way they live. Now, when we look at that and we begin to say, uh, well, what does that look like? You know what, many years ago, it was thought that people were seeking pleasure. They were seeking pleasure. But later on, uh, over period of time they discovered that people weren't really seeking pleasure they were seeking meaning but if they did not have meaning that they would go after pleasure and you know Solomon writes about that right in the book of Ecclesiastes he says I had all these uh, uh, fun, that this much fun since his family day this much fun and he said he comes to the end of the thing and he says these words he says that um, you know everything is meaningless but to know God and he talks about how er, there, there is a the only thing that's meaningful is that relationship with God. And so Jesus has told, tells, says that he likes to tell stories to create, to nudge, and so that people would be ready to receive. And so I want you to take a look here in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. Let's read like we know. <laughs> it is the word of his power now. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are 
Now, let me ask you this. It is in Christ. Now, how do we find out who we are? No, you got you to gotta, you stay with me. How do we find out who we are? In Christ. How do we find out not only who we are, but how do we find out what we are living for? Okay, let me ask you that again. How do we find out who we are? How do we find out what we are living for? So notice this, that we find out who we are, what we are living for in Christ. And the beautiful, thing, uh, the beautiful thing about that is that we find out that who we are, what we're living for in Christ, but then now we look that God had a plan for you. And so notice what it says as we continue to read. It says that long before, come on champions, let's read that together. Now, long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, <laughs> he had his eye on us and had designs on us for glorious living, long before you ever heard of him, long before you ever heard of Jesus, long before you ever heard of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, before you ever heard of the one who died for you and was crucified and rose again and is seated at the right hand of the Father, before you ever heard of him, he had his eyes on you. He was looking at you. He's watching you. He had his eyes on you. And why? Because he had a design for glorious living. That word glorious, it means admired, honored, and worth. So he had his eyes on you before you ever got your hopes up of what you could become. Because he designed a plan for you so that your life would be worth something long before. So, so we need to take a look at this then. The Bible says that it's in Christ that we find out who we are. Then we need to take a look at this and understand and answer the question, what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ? Now, I want you to come here. I want, I want the little Ed, little Ed, would you come here, please? I call him little Ed. What is that? That's a ball. What is this? This is a bucket. Now, as long as the ball and the bucket separated, then the bucket can do whatever it wants to do or needs to do, but it never affects the ball. The ball can do whatever it wants to do, but it will never be affected by the bucket. So he can try to bounce it. He can try to bounce it. Look at that. Remember God said that without me, you could do what? You can't do nothing. So it didn't work the first time, try it again. One more time. Without me, you could do nothing. But so, so when we look at it, in Christ, what does this mean, in Christ? It really refers to a status, or it refers to a state of being, right? And so now if he puts the ball in the bucket, where is the ball? The ball is in the bucket. <laughs> Can you see the ball? What do you see? What you see is what the ball is in. Now, if I swing the bucket, what happens to the ball? The ball goes and does what the, what the bucket does. Why? Because it is where? It's in the bucket. 
If I take the bucket up and down, where's the ball? What does the ball do? It goes up and down. If we lose the bucket, we lose the ball. So when Paul says that we are in Christ, he is literally sharing our status, our state of being. And he is saying that when you are in Christ, then whatever Christ wants to do with you, because you're in him, you go where he goes, you do what he does, you, you receive the instructions. Why? It's because he has created an atmosphere for you to live in, and he, is, he nudged you, and you got in him, and when you got in him, then now you receive whatever it was that he wanted you to do. And so wherever the bucket goes, the ball has to go wide, because the ball is where? It's in the bucket. When we are in Christ, it identifies our status. It identifies our state of being. Therefore, whatever Christ wants, because we're in him, then we're able and capable of doing it. That's the part about the unexplainable life. So, so, so notice this. I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. Have you been closer to God in your life than you are right now? It's a rhetorical question. Have you been closer to God in your life than you are right now? Now, when we think about that, I can reflect perhaps that all of us have had that experience where God seemed really distant, we see seemed far, that um, we could not really hear him, didn't feel we were getting instructions from him, and that although we know that he said that I will never leave you nor forsake you, but he still felt distant or far. And so what I want you to do is open your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 15, and what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at a story that Jesus told to create readiness and to nudge people toward receptive insight so that they would see a new way of living by experiencing God's love. Luke chapter 15, this story is a story of the prodigal, but it is also the story of our own lives. Because when we look at this particular story, one of the things that we can see is we can see that the same thing occurred to us in our lives. And so many know this story of the prodigal, but it is also a story of our own lives. Because when we read this story, we can see our story within this story. And so what happens is that the son leaves the fellowship of his father. And the son, he makes several decisions that were not good in his life. And the other thing that we recognize is that the son ended up in a situation where you couldn't call it anything else but rock bottom. He couldn't go any lower. And so he, he made a decision. Now, now keep in mind that what he did is that he went to his father and he says, Father, give me my inheritance. And by literally asking his father for his inheritance, he's literally saying, Daddy, you're dead to me. As far as I'm concerned, I don't have a father living. Why? It's because that inheritances were passed on when the father died. Mantles were passed on. But his father is still living, but yet he wants his inheritance. Therefore, he says, Father, as far as you're, I'm concerned, you're dead to me. Give me what belongs to me. And he leaves and he goes and he breaks fellowship with the father. He makes decisions and he does what he thinks he wants. Notice what? He's really seeking meaning. But because he did not find meaning, he finds pleasure. And as he goes, <laughs> he comes to a place where he couldn't go any lower. And notice what happens here in Luke chapter 15. And let's look at verse how about verse, verse uh, 20, because the Bible says that he come to a, the Bible says he came to himself. I love that phrase. And so what it means when he came to himself, what it means he was out of his mind when he had told his father to give him his inheritance. 
he was out of his mind. And, and so he got his mind back. So, and so, so, he's, so, so he, you know what he says when he got his mind back? He says that my father would never take me back as a son, but I can go work for him as a laborer. My father will not take me back as his son again, but I'll go work for him as a laborer. Isn't it interesting how there are times when we maybe feel God is distant and we want to do work for him so that we can restore the relationship. But notice this particular story here in Luke chapter 15, verse 20. The Bible says when he got his mind back and when he came to himself, let's read it together now. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Notice this, that the father ran to his son. The father ran to his son. All the son had to do was recognize, was recognize that, look, my life was better when I had a relationship with my father. All he had to do was recognize that when my life was better, when I had fellowship with my father. Therefore, I am going to return back to my father. And the Bible tells us that he began to walk. Now, you know what it's like. He began to walk toward his father's house. Now, you know when you've done some wrong and you got to return back home. You know what it's like. It's not like you're running home. Yeah, I can think when I, when I knew my dear was back at home and, I, and I, I, was, I knew what waited on me at home and I had done some wrong, I wasn't striding. No, no, I was going home like this. I was taking some short steps. So all he had to do was make a step in the direction of his father's house and the father saw him and the father ran out to him, wrapped his arms around him, and kissed him. Notice this, that the son during that particular time that he was, would have been subjected to death because whenever a son like that dishonored his family or father, they would stone them. And so here, the father sees the child and when he sees him, he runs out to him. This is the day that God ran. He runs out to him and he covers him and kisses him. What is he doing? He's saying that I know that you deserve death, but I'm going to cover you and I'm going to take your punishment for you. That if anybody thinks about stoning you, that they've got to stone me first. And he kissed him to demonstrate his love. But the Bible says he did more than that. Come on, church. Let's keep reading. Let's read it together. Now, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. It was almost like the father interrupted him. It's like, look, you don't have to live in your past. You don't have to dwell on the mistakes that you have made. And the father did not want to hear, but he just heard enough where the son was recognizing that I had been nudged. There's an awareness that had been created in me. And I have received, I've got receptive insight. And, and, and when he recognized that, the father interrupted him. And, and notice what he says, my God. Let's read it together now. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a, bring, put a ring on his finger 
and sandals on his feet. Stop right there. Notice this. Father is covering him. So he says that I'll take the punishment for you that if anybody sees you, have seen you, no, 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 I've got you covered. But then he says, quick, bring the robe. Quick, bring the ring. And what did he do? He literally restored him from a status of wanting to be a laborer to the status of being a son. And when he covers him and puts the ring on his finger, notice this, that when people saw him, they no longer saw the runaway son. They saw the son that had been restored in a relationship with his loving father. And all he had to do was just take some steps toward the father. And the father saw him. Isn't it interesting? He wasn't home yet, but the father saw him. Why? It's because his eyes were upon his son. His eyes were upon his son even before his son knew that his father was looking at him. Why? Only way for him to know who he was and why, what he had to live for, is he had to be in his father's house. And, 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 and that's what Paul's saying is that we are in Christ. And because we're in him, we can know who we are and what we are living for. And when we recognize that, that whatever you've done in your past, whatever drifting that you have done, whatever distance you feel, all you have to do is start taking steps. Because his eyes are upon you, he'll see you. And when he sees you, he'll, it will be the day that God runs toward you. Why? It's because he's only responding to your movement. And he's waiting. He's looking to say, will you return to a fellowship and a relationship with me? And when you do, he covers you. See, what do you mean he covers me? He takes my punishment. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He hung on the cross. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded for our transgressions. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, we're healed. By his punishment, we, are, we, are, we have relationship by what he did. And so whenever we get in him, we know who we are and we know why we are living. And do you know what? You can say that, you know, there's a life that I've lived that I'm not proud of. And the enemy wants to just kind of bring that back up in your life. But God is interrupting your conversation. And he's saying that I'll cover you. No, I've covered you. I've covered you. I've paid the price. Get out of those stinky, dirty clothes and put on a robe that identifies who you really are. And when you discover who you are, you know why you can live the life that he has designed for you. One that's amazing, one that's valuable, and one that's worthy.